is the Dealer News Today podcast, the podcast for automotive executives and the professionals who support them. Hey there, folks, and welcome to Dealer News Today. Glad to have you here. You know, this is episode three of season five. That's right. We just started season five. Can you believe it? But if you'd like to listen to any of our great past episodes and seasons, just head over to dealernewstoday.com. And of course, follow the show on social media at Dealer News Today. I am your host, Derek D. Yep, that guy from that show. But if you'd like to find out more about me, DerekD.com is where it's at. Okay, let's get right to our guest on today's show. He's the Cox Automotive Senior Economist and Senior Director of Industry Insights. So it's safe to say he knows a lot of things or two about the automotive industry. Please welcome Charlie Chessbro to the show. What's up, Charlie? Thanks for coming on DNT. Well, thanks so much for having me. Glad to be here. And we're glad to have you on. So I know you live in Michigan now, but are you originally from there? Uh, I'm actually born and raised in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And uh, that's that's where I live today, just outside of Ann Arbor. Oh, okay. And uh, so are you, uh, you went to Michigan State University, right? I did. I'm a bit of a traitor. Uh, our local school is University of Michigan, but I uh, wanted to get out of town and try something new. So I ended up going to Michigan State <laughs> and studied economics up there. Oh, nice. Yeah. My, uh, I, have, I have family that went there. My cousins went there. Now my little cousin, well, he's not little anymore, is going there as well. That's a great school. Big fan of Michigan State. Oh, yeah. And this is the year, I'm telling you. The football team's looking good. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, they do. Um, well, so you're in Michigan. Are you a Detroit Lions fan as well? Uh, that's a little bit of a stretch. That's a bridge too far, maybe. <laughs> I, I hope to see them win, but I don't know if anybody's a fan anymore with the Detroit Lions. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, I'm a New York Giants fan, so it's been rough for us, too. So, yeah, been pretty, been pretty crazy. But, uh, all right, let's talk to you about, uh, you know, what, what, what you do. So you're the... Senior Economist and Senior Director of Industry Insights for Cox Automotive. Just tell me, you know, for people that aren't familiar, what what is what do those responsibilities uh, entail, and what is you know a regular day for you? You know, today's Monday. We're recording this. What's like a Monday normally look like for you? Well, boy, that's a loaded question. I don't know that we necessarily <laughs> have normal, uh, particularly these last couple of years with the automotive market. But uh, no, I'm true. part of a team. I'm part of a team at Cox Automotive, uh, the Industry Insights team. And I joined Cox about five years ago, along with our chief economist, economist Jonathan Smoke. And our team was developed in order to go uh, into all of the data assets that Cox Automotive has for many of our properties and trying to pull out from this raw data, what are some of the stories that we can tell out there of what's happening uh, in the vehicle market? And Cox Automotive Mm -hmm. is particularly well positioned in that we're involved in everything with the, the retail side of the industry. You know, the manufacturers make the product, they get it to the dealer. And once we're there, Cox Automotive is involved with uh, you know, dealer software to help them sell the vehicle. We have uh, companies that help finance the vehicle. Uh, we have companies that help sell the vehicle, help transport the vehicle. And of course, in the whole used market, uh, you know, with the Mannheim auctions, uh, we just have a plethora of data that we can uh, go into and really see what's moving the market. What are some of the changes we're seeing? And it's been particularly valuable this last couple of years with all of the changes in the post-COVID market uh, that we do have this ability at Cox that we can go into all of this data and see some of the changes because it's really been quite phenomenal. Yeah. Uh, some of the things that are happening out there in the market. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, you know, in the first two seasons of, you know, Dealer News Today, I interviewed a ton of people from Cox Automotive, and there's you know, all different walks of 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 uh, you know different jobs. I feel like at Cox Automotive, and it's very interesting what you guys do. Um, 
So the new, obviously the new vehicle market is crazy right now and inventory levels, or I should say lack thereof, uh, are something that has never really happened before. Obviously that's impacting new vehicle sales, but how significant is that impact? Oh, I, I think it's it's significant and it's still unfolding. Uh, you know, the, sure. the whole COVID crisis really presented a, uh, was, was a huge di- difficult issue for the automotive industry, but it also presented an opportunity. And it appears that the industry is really embracing that. And that is, is that uh, once inventories got cleared out, uh, uh, in, in uh, essentially a year ago or a little over a year ago, uh, uh, when we really saw the, the inventory situation get substantially worse, um, that the industry saw it, found itself with dealers with empty dealer lots. Uh, and yeah. they were only able to generate a, a minimal amount of new inventory. They couldn't really replace all of the, all of the sales that have been cleared out already in, in the inventory. And as a result of that, we've seen that the margins have strengthened dramatically for, for vehicles. The discounting has fallen uh, dramatically. Uh, the, the, the margins on these vehicles has improved substantially for both dealers as well as the manufacturers themselves. And, right. it's, and so even though COVID was a huge crisis, it's, it's presented a unique opportunity for the industry to become lean and mean. And, and, uh, and by that, I mean lean and that there's not much inventory and mean in that if you're a consumer trying to negotiate, you don't have much power right now. It's definitely That's a seller's right. market. And, yeah. and I think the industry is going to be uh, aggressively trying to maintain the seller's market for as long as possible. And, and that's going to be one of the challenges they have as we go in uh, through the remainder of this year and into next year is can they rebuild inventories? Because it's clearly a little bit too thin out there, uh, but also maintain pricing discipline. And that's going to be the balance that I think uh, all the industry watchers are going to be looking at here over the next uh, 18 months. Yeah. You know, things have definitely changed. I mean, that's for sure. That's an understatement. But even though inventory levels are low, they are making money. That's for sure. You know, it's interesting because on the show, I talk to a lot of dealership owners and things like that. And some say, you know, that they do mark up from the MSRP because, hey, listen, there's a high demand and that's just the way it is. And some say, absolutely not. We keep it right at the MSRP because we're working on the long game. We want them coming back to buy from us. We want their friends and family to come and buy from us. So what's your opinion on that? The marking up versus not marking up? Well, I, I mean, I'm certainly no fan of that. I know the manufacturers themselves hate that, that they uh, are marking up these products. Um, yeah. But we're in an environment where that's possible. And if, and if we do believe in free enterprise and somebody out there is, is willing to pay exorbitantly more uh, for a vehicle above MSRP, uh, you know, the capitalist in me says, okay, if you're willing to do it. But I, I think uh, uh, as an industry, it's a way to really shoot yourself in the foot. And we know that already uh, consumers' opinions of car dealers isn't always the highest. And certainly the more and more stories that we hear of of, of dealers right. demanding thousands above the MSRP is only going to make that relationship that much more uh, difficult. And I think as we enter into a period where uh, Tesla's gone direct to consumer and is pushing that across the country, um, I think more and more fa- manufacturers are going to be thinking long and hard about that uh, for themselves right. and their own distribution strategies. Uh, if dealers are going to continue to do this kind of markup and, and create a difficult uh, relationship for manufacturers with their own customers. Yeah, and some of it, you know, which some of it is crazy. I, I say this on the show all the time. You look at the new Corvette C8, and I always use that as an example because I just love that car. But what the MSRP is versus what they're actually selling for, if you could even get your hands on one, we're talking like 25K or more over sticker price. I mean, it's nuts. Yeah, no, it really is. And uh, But again, we're in such a lean inventory environment. There's people that not everybody's suffering right now, right? Some people have actually done quite well in this environment. Mm-hmm. 
Very true. Uh, and there's a lot of money out there even today. And so, uh, like I said, if there are people out there that are willing to pay 25,000 more, uh, you know, I don't know that, that I personally would stand in their way to allow them to do that, but it certainly isn't going to build a strong relationship between uh, buyers and sellers. Right, right. Yeah, it's crazy. So we were talking about inventory a bit before. Has inventory shortages, you think that, it, I've, I've asked this to a couple different people, dealerships though, have, do you think it's impacted all brands equally or, you know, have some, you know, manufacturers navigated those issues a, a little better? Like who, who's dealing with this the best right now? Well, it's really changed over the last, yeah, over the last 18 months or so. We saw last year in 2021, the American brands lost a tremendous amount of share over the course of the summer and fall of last year. Uh, our view is, is that they got hit by the chip shortage uh, hard and early, uh, at least relative to their competition out there. Uh, and so I think we're, we're, I think that explains a lot of the reason we saw such a huge hit in market share for the Detroit Three last year. They're starting to regain some of that this year. We know that their inventory situation has improved. It's not 100% better, but it's gotten a little bit better. And at the same yeah. time, it's getting a little bit better. We can see some of the Japanese competition uh, has seen dramatically worse. Uh, we know that Honda's uh, facing a very, very difficult time uh, right now with very lean inventories. Toyota, uh, Hyundai. Uh, uh, many of the Asian brands are looking at very lean inventories, and, and in particular, some of the small, smaller vehicles, compact cars, compact SUV, some of the most affordable products uh, are the most difficult to find. Uh, and that's many yeah. of the Asian brands focus on those on those segments. So it's, uh, you know, right now, you know, everybody's still looking at a lean environment uh, in general. But I will say, I think the American brands uh, are a little have a little bit more availability, particularly Stellantis. Uh, uh, than many of the of the Asian and European brands, but you know we got a long way to go still on the whole supply chain issue, and and certainly uh, all of the turmoil going right on right now in Europe uh, regarding the Ukraine war and the huge spike in uh, sure. uh, fuel costs that we've seen in Europe, they may start having to shut down factories, and that may impact uh, suppliers as well as uh, uh, assembly factories uh, in Europe. That could certainly make the for the Europeans the situation get even that much more. Uh, precarious here in the fall and, and into next year. Uh, but as we look at the market today, I would say in general, the American brands are a little bit more availability, but we do know that the Asian brands are still looking at very, very tight supplies. Yeah. You know, I was passing a Honda dealership right by me the other day and I, it was just, I was like, there's nothing new there. It's all used. It was like just, I mean, maybe, maybe a few couple new cars in the actual you know, in the actual showroom. But other than that, I was just like, man, and, and you're seeing it everywhere. Uh, do, you, is, do you think it's mainly because of the chip shortage or is it just supply chain issues? Well, I think the chip shortage uh, is certainly a large chunk of that, but there are yeah. bigger supply chain issues as well, right? We know that uh, wire harnesses is really, uh, which is manufactured uh, uh, in Ukraine has had an impact on uh, some of the assembly uh, capabilities for the uh, the European market for some of the, the German three. Um, right. And we know that the, the uh, COVID outbreaks in China has really disrupted uh, many of the suppliers in China that supply many of the Asian brands for all kinds of products. You know, we, we've heard a lot about chip shortages, uh, but we know that there's other things involved. Uh, many of the electronic components, any kind of motors or uh, even just radios uh, that would go into vehicles, uh, these have all uh, uh, really taken a strong hit uh, because of the supply chain issues that are going on across the world, but in particular uh, in, in Asia. 
the situation hmm. just again remains precarious. There's nothing to suggest that this thing's just going to figure itself out and we'll get everything rolling again in just a few months, because many of the problems just linger. As I said, the Ukraine war isn't going anywhere, and in fact, uh, we've seen uh, energy prices spike dramatically uh, across Europe. That's going to hit uh, factories. We know in China, COVID still continues uh, to hold back uh, production activity uh, across China, uh, as well as drought conditions in China uh, may start having an impact on manufacturing. So we got a yeah. long way to go. And I think one of the things <laughs> that we've like learned it. as an industry, yeah, well, one of the things we've learned as an industry is that maybe the whole global supply chain um, leaves us particularly vulnerable. And I think that's one of the things that, uh, uh, that the current administration and working with the, uh, the manufacturers here in North America, they've really been pushing to build more uh, factories here for, for EV batteries, as well as vehicle assembly. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if one of the uh, repercussions from all the turmoil we've had from the last couple of years is that the whole idea of, of global supply chains goes on the back burner. And we focus again on manufacturing here uh, in North America and, and having everything we need right here in North America. Right. Yeah. I mean, this, it makes sense. It's like, look, we can't get it elsewhere. We might as well do it ourselves. Um, yeah. Who? Yeah. yeah. Who, who's, who's making the most money right now? Like, is it dealers, OEMs? You know, what, what, what part of the business in your, is the most profitable right now? Uh, I, I Honestly, I probably think it's like everyone's making money, but what, what do you think? Is it dealers? Well, I think I think if we had to say uh, probably dealers right now of, of everyone are doing the best. Yeah. Uh, certainly the manufacturers themselves, uh, the, the per vehicle margins are very, very strong, right? They pulled back on the uh, incentives and pulled back on the advertising budgets on vehicles. Certainly all right. the costs. There's no incentives. Yeah, no incentive. Yeah, they pull back significantly. Uh, they pull back on leasing activity. Uh, so we know that the margins are quite strong for the manufacturers, but the volumes uh, aren't high enough to sort of say that they're making a lot of money. Uh, so uh, you know, the, the 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 profitability is good, but they need to they need to increase the volumes to really say things are going fantastic for the manufacturers. But for the dealers themselves, their yeah. their profit margins look quite good. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, there's nothing on the horizon to suggest things should get substantially uh, worse uh, for dealers. You know, the profit should remain elevated, uh, certainly throughout the course yeah. of this year. Even as these interest rates go up, uh, we know that's going to eliminate uh, many buyers from the market that just are no longer going to be able to afford a new or used uh, vehicle. But the thing we have to keep in mind is that, uh, particularly in the new vehicle market, there's a lot of scrappage that goes on every year in the in the uh, in the vehicle economy here in the United States. We scrap anywhere from 12 to 15 million vehicles, right? There's just too many miles on them. The uh, the maintenance on them is too much. They break down. They got to go to the junkyard, and that transportation needs yeah. to be replaced. Uh, that you know, we need to have uh, those vehicles replaced in the marketplace because we still have a growing economy. Uh, uh, you know, vehicle ownership is part of the U.S. Uh, economy, uh, a, a goal for consumers. And so there remains underlying demand that's quite strong that just hasn't been met the last couple of years, or at least it's just flat, uh, no real growth. And we know that when yeah. you add economic growth on top of the scrappage, you know, the new vehicle market probably needs 16, 17, maybe even 18 million vehicles, new vehicles a year, just to sort of maintain the, the basic demand. Uh, and we haven't met that wow. the last couple of years. And so there's a tremendous amount of uh, of demand out there for personal transportation that's been forced into the used vehicle market. And that's why used vehicle prices have, have remained elevated. Uh, that's why we've seen so much activity in the used market, because people need personal transportation, even in a recession, even in a, in a, in a global uh, pandemic. 
People need personal transportation and they haven't been able to, to get that personal transportation in the last couple of years. And so there's not a lot of uh, uh, this lean and mean environment exists for both the new and used vehicle market. Uh, and that's part of the reason that we remain quite uh, bullish on the outlook for both uh, new and used margins, at least, that they're going to st still remain quite positive. Yeah. We're not expecting any kind of a price collapse or, or anything in the used vehicle market. Uh, that's not to say that there isn't some some air that's going to get let out of that balloon, uh, but the idea of a of a price collapse just doesn't seem to be in the cards right now because the underlying demand in the U.S. economy still remains uh, quite robust. Yeah, the demand is, is so high. I, I know dealers want to get their hands on any used car that someone wants to trade in, especially if it's in great shape, you know. And but there's some people saying used vehicles are more expensive than new, but I, I don't know how true that is because it all depends on what kind of car it is, the make, model, year, miles. All that stuff, right? Yeah. I mean, there were some oddball cases that we saw over the last 18 months of a of a used vehicle that, that appreciated and 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 got to be more valuable than its brand new uh, counterpart. But those are sort of oddball yeah. cases, kind of specialty vehicles. Uh, you know, in general, we we see that the pricing uh, was elevated, did go up quite a bit, but our expectation is is that pricing is going to kind of fall back into more normal patterns here. Uh, as we get get further along, sort of with the rearview mirror uh, with COVID, um, and so the elevated prices that we've seen aren't aren't expected to to continue these fast upward growth trajectories. Uh, you know, we do expect it to start moderating and starting to start to follow a more normal pricing pattern here for both the new and the used vehicle market. Sure, yeah, I mean, it, it's just it's just crazy the amount you can get. Like my car, I have a 2017. Uh, VW Passat R line. It's black. I mean, I've, I it's it's in great, amazing shape. I could I could probably get, you know, ten grand over what I, you know, it's probably insane what I can get for it. But then it's like, what do I get into? Well, it's you much know? like the housing market, right? You know, that your own house is probably exactly. gone up tremendously in value, and you're thinking you're rich, but if you sell your house, you gotta you gotta move somewhere, and the house you buy you move into exactly. is gonna be just as expensive. And so that's much like the vehicle market right. is today. You know, there's no escaping these higher costs. Yeah. So I'm just going to hold on to her. She's in great shape and, <laughs> you know, it's a great car. <laughs> I had the wheels powder coated black, the calipers, like I put new brakes. It's, it's, so it's definitely worth, it's worth a lot. But anyway, um, something we don't talk about much on the show though, uh, is, is how are service departments performing? Are people keeping cars longer because of all the high prices? Are dealers you know, more focused on service than they have been in the past, you think? Well, I think dealers have always been fo focused on service ops. I mean, it's an important part of the business. Sure. Uh, but certainly, I think that the increase uh, in value that we've seen for used vehicles is going to have a huge impact on the vehicle park or what we call the population of vehicles here in, in the U.S. Uh, um, uh, economy. We have about 280 million light vehicles that exist on the roads in America today. And with this huge increase that we've seen in used vehicle prices, we know that the value of those 280 million uh, vehicles is higher today. Uh, and um, because right. it's uh, essentially worth more, that 12-year-old vehicle that you may have, or your own vehicle, as you said, it's gone up in value. And so the uh, the personal economics that you might do in evaluating, well, should I get an, you know, should I uh, change the uh, uh, the engine, or are my transmissions blown? Should I fix my transmission? I think for many folks, yeah, the, uh, the equation becomes much more reasonable to say, yeah, it's it's worth it to invest. And I put that in quotes, invest, but to invest in my in my vehicle and keep it going on the road. Because even though if I have to spend $5,000 for a major repair, 
boy, if I can get another year's use out of that vehicle, it's, it's, it's essentially a wash. It pays for itself. Yeah. And, um, I think more and more folks are going to do those, those personal calculations and, and say that it's, it's going to make more sense for us, uh, personally to invest in these vehicles, keep these used vehicles going for longer. Uh, and I think that's one of the, the results that we're going to see in this post COVID market that people will, uh, keep their used vehicles even longer than they had before. Yeah. And that means more money spent for services. I agree. I mean, I'm doing that myself. So yeah, I probably would have had something new by now if all this wasn't going on, but yeah, you know, uh, so uh, a couple more questions before we get going. Are independent dealers versus franchise dealers, like who's performing better? Or are they, is it basically the same, you know, perspectively? Maybe not the amount of money, but in relation to their size versus a franchise dealer, both are doing very well. Yeah, whether you're big or small. Uh, I think they're doing well, but I think... A lot, a lot of them are getting bought up too. Yeah. I think we can say though that, that the... Uh, the franchise dealer is probably doing a little better in this in this market today than the independent dealer. Uh, these uh, mm. the situation that we've got in terms of uh, uh, off lease vehicles. Uh, very few of those are making it uh, to auction these days. Many are just being gobbled up by the dealer when the vehicle's returned. Uh, and so, franchise uh, dealers yeah. sort of have a leg up on being able to get the best uh, inventory out there. And even with the franchise dealers being in such lean inventory environments, they've been sort of getting into the product segments that the use, or or excuse me, the independent dealers sort of focus on more of the older model year vehicles, the lower price points. Uh, Franchise dealers are getting into that territory as well. And I think also with the rising interest rates that we're dealing with today, uh, more and more folks are going to need help in getting financing and it may be that the type of consumers that are going into the to the franchise dealer may be a little bit more have a little bit more credit worthiness, maybe a few more options at the uh, at the franchise dealer than they may have at the independent dealer uh, in acquiring financing. So I do think that oh, the outlook for for independence is going to be a little bit more challenging just in, in terms of acquiring inventory and, and acquiring customers here going forward. Uh, but that's not to say that it's going to be a horrible market for them, just a little bit more challenge. Yeah. I mean, they're all making money, right? They're not hurting right now. That's for sure. Obviously they're dealing with, you know, the inventory issue, the chip issue, but they're making money. And the M&A world is super strong right now. People are buying and selling, gobbling up dealerships. Crazy time for that too, right? It is. There's a lot of consolidation going on. Uh, we know that the, the industry yeah. itself is trying to figure out what is our future distribution uh, look like? You know, do we need 35,000 or whatever number of dealers that we have here in, in North America? Can we get by with uh, a fewer number of dealers? And can more and more manufacturers go direct to consumer and more and more used car dealers go direct to consumer, taking the, the Carvana or the, or the Vroom route? Uh, I think these are going to be challenges right. for car dealers going forward and trying to compete with that, which kind of brings us back to the MSRP markup, uh, you know, at a time when people hear these horror stories of of, uh, of dealers charging well over the MSRP, uh, many folks may decide, you know what, I just don't want to deal with that. And I'd rather go with somebody who's going to be direct. You know, I know my price up front. There's no crazy negotiation across the table. Um, that may uh, right. give a little bit more of an advantage to, to folks uh, that do the direct selling because consumers may get turned off by that. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and it's some people think, oh, it's a lot easier. I'll just go online and do it. I mean, you can go online and order any car with, or any dealership, basically, but the Carvanas of the worlds and the rooms, that's a whole different thing. And it seems a lot easier for people. So it is. And, and I do think it's definitely it, going it, forward. It does present, I think, an opportunity as well, though, for the franchise dealers. And as as we know, these these vehicles uh, 
the technology in them is more and more complicated, is more and more uh, uh, sure. uh, difficult to service. You need real expertise in, 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 uh, in servicing many of these vehicles that the need for the for the franchise uh, dealership may grow in terms of being able to explain all of this technology to consumers, helping consumers use this technology, keep fixing this technology, uh, you know, getting that expertise to be able to do all of that is going to be something that dealers are going to have to focus on. And I think those dealers that really do uh, uh, embrace sort of this new world of new te technologies and all the capabilities that these electric vehicles and these plug-in hybrid vehicles have, uh, and who can explain that to their customers and help customers embrace that themselves. I think those dealers are going to have a leg up on other dealers that sort of are, uh, are, are still thinking, oh, EVs aren't going to happen, or I'm out of this business before I got to worry about yep. EVs. I think the one thing we've seen in this post-COVID market is EVs are coming much faster than we, than we even thought just a couple of years ago. Uh, and so we all yeah, better I mean, get ready for, for the EV revolution because it's coming whether we want to participate or not. For sure. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's, it's you know, cars, even whether it's gas powered or, or EVs, they're basically driving computers. So it's it's getting more and more technologically advanced. That's for sure. And yeah, EVs are obviously on the rise. So it's, uh, yeah, that, that's a good point. You're going to want to be able to go somewhere and learn about, especially, you know, older people, you know, they need to need a little more, uh, 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 you know, understanding of how everything works because it's not like it was back in the day where you just get in the car, start it up, row some gears, and you're on your way. But uh, last question before we get going, and I ask this to everybody: Are, are you a car guy? Or are you a car lover? Or are you just in love with the the automotive business? Uh, a little bit of a mix of both. I do love cars, but I, I guess I'm more of a of a uh, a business guy, an economist that enjoys sure. the auto industry because it is probably the most important industry. Uh, in the U.S. economy, and so it's really one that's quite fascinating for us economists. And what's your uh, what's your daily driver? I drive a 2014 Ford Edge with 160,000 miles on it. Oh wow! And I'm hoping to get to two. I'm hoping to get to 250. That's my <laughs> goal. I'm gonna drive that thing in the ground, and then once it, it finally dies, then I'm gonna make the jump to an EV. But we're we're trying to get as many miles as we can out of this thing before I have to make that leap. <laughs> yeah, sure. Why not? I mean, hey, that's a good goal. Uh, so good luck with that Ford Edge. Charlie Chesbro, thanks for coming on the show. Anything you'd like to say before we get going? Uh, no, I just think it's an exciting time for the industry. And it, and it's it's one where I think people are nervous because there's a lot of change going on. Uh, but the one thing I always tell everybody that at the end of the day, that the products that the industry is producing today are the best that they've ever made. And uh, the technology is sure. only getting better. The safety is only getting better. You know, we know that prices are going up. But people are getting good value for their money because these these vehicles are really just incredibly technologically advanced and, and just wonderful products. And it also means that the used products out there are just getting better and better as well. And so uh, prices are going up for everybody, but the quality is going up, too. So I think it is it can be a win-win yeah. for, for everyone here in the vehicle market. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Well, listen. You heard it all, folks, from Charlie Chesbro. Very insightful with a lot of information. Appreciate you coming on the show, Charlie. All right. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Have a good one, Charlie. Take it easy. All right. Bye-bye. That was Charlie Chesbro, the Cox Automotive Senior Economist and Senior Director of Industry Insights. You could always visit coxautoinc.com for more info. But that will do it for this episode of DNT. Follow us on social media at Dealer News Today. I am your host, Derek D, DerekD.com for all my stuff. Appreciate you listening, folks. So until next time, this is Dealer News Today. <laughs>